rather than treating clients sort of like they're the least knowledgeable person in the process, which is generally how we do it. We say, okay, we know what we're doing. They know nothing about what they're doing. And hopefully I can trick them into paying me and going away. And I was like, no, I don't want to do that because that causes me a lot of stress. It causes me a lot of anxiety. And what I'd rather do is just take their hand and just walk down the path together. everyone and thank you so much for listening in. I am Roberta, the illustrator behind Happy Impulse and this is Happy Impulse Unfiltered, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the bullshit happening in our society and I create art about it because the more we talk about this shit, these issues, the more we can change and better the world around us. So welcome to Happy Impulse Unfiltered and as always, thank you for giving a fuck. I'm super stoked and I want to welcome Jason Craig to the podcast. He is a crazy talented illustrator, branding genius. And if it's Friday, he's getting a little crunk. So Jason, thank you so much for being here. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. So before we dive a little bit deeper, can you briefly tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yes. So first, thank you for having me on. This is going to be fun. My name is Jason Craig on Instagram and nowhere else. I'm Jason the 29th. Nobody calls me that in real life. I'm an illustrator and graphic designer. I work for myself for the past three years. I've worked at agencies. Uh, I've worked for sign shops, newspapers, all kinds of stuff like that. I am originally from Illinois and I moved to Georgia in 1998. And so I've lived down here for most of my life. And yeah, I specialize in mostly print design and things you can hold in your hand. And whenever I'm not working, I like to grow house plants and go on bike rides. So that's me. And I do a little bit of speaking. Say that if someone can't see you, they don't understand that you definitely look like a badass all the time. So first of all, we're literally wearing the exact same shirt. Okay, true. So, so I am a badass. I'm so you look like, if I look like a badass, then you look like a badass. Uh I don't try to look like a badass. I'm just do me. But uh, part of that is like growing up in the Midwest, like on farms and factory workers and that played a lot of sports, did all those things. But I was also like won the art award and drew pictures on the back of my homework. So it's just that duality. You said I look like a badass. That's kind of funny to me. I think I just look like the most stereotypical designer. I have tattoos on one arm and a beard and a black hat. And I think that if you just looked up generic designer guy that's what it would pull up i mean but you also have the beard and sometimes you put ads in magazines to showcase your agency and instead of having 30 people in the image you have your three cats yes so i do that stuff yeah i like to keep it light but i also like to um a lot of times like the things that i do and say there's like a surface level to it and then there's like a slightly deeper meaning to it but then there's a level below that where the people that really know me look and they'll be like holy crap you know he's doing this for this reason but i don't say like hey for all of your web hosting and seo call jason craig i don't do any of that stuff at the end of the day i don't want people to call me which is a great business tactic if you want to make money is just really don't let people call you because what i do is not really for everybody and it's tough because being a local guy and you get on Facebook or something and it's like, who can design my landscaping business logo? And the truth of that is that anybody can. 
Your cousin can do your landscaping business logo. You don't need to get me to do it. You're not going to mow more yards if you pay me to do it versus download some clip art or something. It's going to be fine. Jason. No, that's the other thing. Yeah, it's no secret. Don't let them know. Yeah, don't let them know. They're all listening. And so I do things to just make sure that people understand that I am not a freelancer in that sense, that I'm not the person that's going to do your landscaping logo. So if I have to spend several hundred dollars to run an ad that really has no purpose, it's just to let other people know that I'm trying to operate on like a slightly different wavelength and that maybe it's going to be a little bit tougher to get me to take on a project than if I was, I don't know, cleaning carpets for a living where it's just, you need to clean as many carpets as possible to make a living. I don't necessarily need to make as many logos as possible. I need to do quality work. So I kind of have some like funny tactics whenever I do that. And I get a kick out of it. But see, that's kind of what makes you a badass. So instead of going the route where most people are like, hey, my cousin really needs this logo. I did 50 versions of the logo. It took me like five days. I went on Shutterstock and iStock and all the stock programs. And then I illustrated something really unique, but it's something you could buy off Envato or some other program. And then like, Then I designed the logo in Canva too, just to spice things up with my life. No, the reason why I'm saying I think that you're badass is that you're holding yourself to a higher standard and you want other people to hold you to that too. But you're also making fun of other freelancers or agencies who act like they're holier than thou. That's what I mean when I call you a badass. More agencies, because I think that most other freelancers are independent designers. I think that I can really appreciate what they're going through and I really don't want to like cut any of them down. But it is funny to me how agencies, especially mid-sized, it's all about wacky culture. It's like, look at us, we're wacky and we're quirky and all this. Like at the end of the day, we're, we're making shapes. And so if somebody does call me, if like the landscaper calls me and they're like, do you think you could make my logo better? I'm sure I could move things around and make the way it looks better. But it's like, are you happy with it? Do you really want to go have to order new hats and new shirts for all your guys just to have it different? Because if you're happy with it, just leave it alone. You don't need a better one. Most people won't say that. Most people aren't in a position to say that. They've got a bunch of employees they got to pay. And so they're like, yeah, 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 you have to do this. And if we simplify it and type it out in Gotham, then your landscaping company is going to have so much more. When at the end of the day, most people, when they're looking for somebody to mow their yard, it's like availability and price. And there's nothing a designer can do about either of those things. And then it's also just about showing up and doing the job well. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, the only thing a logo is exactly what you're saying. It's only telling the story of the brand after you've defined it as a business and as a company. Right. And that's the thing, too, is it's like everybody's like, oh, we need something that represents our values. Well, most of the time, those values are just something that we all it's a generic thing that we all share deep down that a copywriter wrote on their about page on their website. People love a profit. Yeah, I don't know what the shape of togetherness is but i do know that i, I like a circle I think, yeah your logo is a circle like my logo not that i really need a logo but my logo is like two hands shaking because that's always been the worst thing that anybody's ever asked for me to do is do two hands shaking so i've just made it my logo so i can always tell people oh I'd, I'd love to do that but that's already my logo so it's taken so if anybody else out there is doing two hands shaking you're on notice because i'm coming with a cease and desist because that's my logo now Well, I have seen a lot of companies come out with the handshaking the snake. Mm -hmm. So That's fine. I'll I'll leave that one. But the traditional just two hands shaking, which it always leads to this horrible conversation that you have to have where it's like, let's make 
two handshaking, but one of them has to be, you know, insert however many different demographics you can into one hand. And then you have every other demographic in the other hand. And so it's like, we need a white hand on one side and a black (laughs) female on the other. And what about Latino? And it's like, oh oh, yeah, let's get a third hand in there. And make sure the hand is also a little gay. Right, a little gay. And it just opens up this weird can of worms where it's just like, maybe perhaps we shouldn't put two hands shaking as your logo. Maybe perhaps that is the case. I think a lot of times what people don't understand is that the whole understanding that you try to include everything into your logo, right. then nothing has value. Right. Nothing is important. That's true. That's true. And, and sometimes they need to be simple and sometimes they do need to be complex. Like some of my best clients are like small businesses. And I love working with folks that love what they do. And for whatever reason, they do need my help. And sometimes it's as simple as a Philly cheesesteak place on the south side of Augusta. Basically, the son, it was called Jackie M's and the son took it over and he wanted to be on the logo. So he wanted to be Jackie M's and son. And that led me to just do a fully blown out thing for him. Because when you walk in there, it's well established, well lived in places that has pictures of people on the walls and there's notes written on the door and there's just stuff everywhere. On the outside, there's murals of Michael Jackson and Whitney Houston. It's basically a designer's nightmare. You're not going to be able to come in and say like, what makes you, you, you're not going to be able to do that. And so what I tried to do with them is just basically add to the clutter, but make my clutter stand out more than the rest of the clutter. Perfect. Yeah. And I, and to me, it makes sense. They love it. And there's like a line around the block all the time. So is it like, if I went to design college, would they say it's the best solution? Probably not. But in the real world where I work, it was a really good way to do it and ended up getting actually a lot of accolades for that small project that I did. It still lives on as one of the better things I've done. So currently I'm in Atlanta. When I drive around, I see realtor signs on buses and benches and the whole thing. As a designer, I look at it and I'm like, it's trash, but I get the reason why you want to have your photo as a realtor, because if I'm going up to a house, I'm meeting you for the first time, I want to know that I can trust you. And if I don't have your face in the ad and it's not smiling friendly, then I'm not going to trust you. Right. So therefore, I do want to see your friendly, smiling face, because if that's not who shows up to show me the house that I'm looking at, I'm leaving or I'm looking for an exit very quickly. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. And that's why a lot of times, like I had this big review of my website. And on my website, it's it's me on the front. And the ads, it's me. And some of those ways, what I'm trying to do with that is I just kind of want people to see that I'm kind of like a grown person that they can assume is established as opposed to a 22-year-old that might not get the same kind of respect. I might if they see what I look like. And I don't know, like I was at Crop Conference in Austin and I got to spend some time with, oh, what's her name? She has the round glasses and blonde hair. Meg Lewis. Meg Lewis. So I got to spend a bunch of time with Meg Lewis. And I was convinced, absolutely convinced before I went that she and I would not hit it off. I don't know why. It just seemed like she was like this larger than life personality. And it just wasn't going to mesh with, with me. 
the second we met each other, at least from my side, she might think I'm a horrible person, but uh, from my side, I thought she was like fantastic. And we spent so much time together. And a lot of what she was saying was, if you're not gonna do a specific thing. Like if you're not the person that draws letters with Cheerios for a living and niches down to like this one thing that you sell people, then you're gonna have to sell yourself. It's gonna have to be about your personality and about working with you and the experience of you as a person. And I related to that so well, because I'm kind of a generalist. I can draw better than some people, but for the most part, I don't have like a thing that I do for every client. And it really just resonated with me that who we are is a big factor. And it's hard for an agency or somebody to say, okay, here's who we are, because it changes it. You know, people come and go, clients come and go, culture changes. But as a person, this is who you are, hopefully for a while. I hope that not everybody just changes constantly. I try to be who I am, which does change my perspective shifts and all that. But for the most part, I'm still Jason. I don't think somebody from high school is going to see me and be like, oh, you're not even the same guy that I always knew. That's the thing about putting yourself out there like that and doing it in a way that's not too serious, not the realtor that's got the glamour shot that's been photoshopped every year. And and when they show up, you're like, who is this person? You don't look anything like that picture on your sign. I always hope the person that shows up every day for my clients is me. And I always try to have like the best face on, always try to have like a good attitude and all that. But I'm honest with my clients and it's not always the case. I've been a lot happier since I started working for myself mostly because those external factors have kind of faded a little bit. You go into a job where maybe the person that sits next to you has had some kind of tragedy. It's going to rub off on you. Or if your boss just woke up on the wrong side of the bed, like that's going to affect you. I don't care who you are. Unless you're some kind of sociopath, it's going to affect you, the people around you. And now I'm surrounded by my cats and I go on walks and see the neighbors and they, they don't have a clue what I'm doing. So it's just pleasantries. But uh, it's a lot different what you carry from the day before into the next day changes so much when you work for yourself, as opposed to those unknown variables of being around other people all the time. I would guess if you worked in like a shared space or something where you're around consistent people every day, but just not being around the same people over and over, sort of like a trap next to somebody, whether they like it or not, makes a big difference, I think. I think it gives you the opportunity to be yourself a little bit more than if you're with the same people every day, you don't have to mask as much. Yeah. You can just be like, this is me. Yeah. Anybody that, that's, that knows me that was just listening to that is like, nah, Jason comes in and imposes himself on everybody. And, <laughs> and so it's probably relieving. Like it goes both ways. The people that aren't around me are probably just as relieved as I am to not have to be around them because I'm a lot and I don't have like off days. Like I just go, 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 go. And I'm always, uh, I'm a lot. I'm also a lot. And that's why my partner lets me have my own room for my office because she doesn't want to put up with my shit. She's like, nope, just just go away. So I want to say congratulations. You are in year three of being a freelancer. Yeah, yeah. And that's incredible. Most people don't make it for three years. Like that's huge. Yeah. Thank you. And there was a pandemic in there too. So I started in July of 2019. So Six, seven months later, everything shut down. And so hopefully that's the hardest part that I'll ever have to deal with. Just whenever I was starting to get it figured out, I was confident that I'd not made a huge mistake. COVID happened and I lost every job that I had. And I really had to rethink everything about how I work. And there was a lot of reasons for that, mostly because all of a sudden everybody became a stranger again. 
you got so unfamiliar with people because you couldn't be close to them. You couldn't communicate the same way that you could before. And now a lot of that communication, it was through an email or with a person that really didn't know you very well. And the work had to change. So we kind of went from this, we shifted from this romantic notion of design and work where it's like, oh, you should just do some cool things. And if you did this handwritten note to your clients, they'll appreciate you for it in the long run. People were more like, I need efficiency. I need things that will get me money tomorrow. And I respected that. And I started working with a lot of little restaurants. And that's how I got the Philly cheesesteak thing. But I figured out that my process had to, like the bullshit had to go. I looked at the things that scared me the most. And the things that scared me were, I do a job for a client and I show it to them and they hate it. Now I got to start all over and all that. I learned to be a lot more transparent with clients. And rather than have this mystique that I'm going into some magic castle to do the work, I'm just really upfront with them. And I was like, okay, so, you know, let's, let's do this, this, and this. And I just have a talk with them. And rather than treating clients sort of like they're the least knowledgeable person in the process, which is generally how we do it. We say, okay, we know what we're doing. They know nothing about what they're doing. And hopefully I can trick them into paying me and going away. And I was like, I don't want to do that because that causes me a lot of stress. It causes me a lot of anxiety. And what I'd rather do is just take their hand and just walk down the path together. And I tried this with small clients first, and I would just make these really rudimentary sketches. And some of them were atrocious. And I talked to all these people like, oh my God, they're going to figure out that you're a fraud, that you suck at what you do. I was like, No, they're not. They can look at my Instagram. They can see my work. They know what my work looks like. They called me for that. But we're not talking about my work. We're talking about what they want, what they like. And I don't know them. And I'm not going to be able to go have beers with them to find out who they are. I just need to do what they asked. And so I started doing these sketches. And it works because they're not putting a lot of work into them. So there's not a lot of pressure to make people like them. You show them this sketch and you say, is this what you're thinking? And they go, no, that's not really what I'm thinking. I'm like, all right, hold on a second sketch this. What about this? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. We get to that. And then it's like, all right, well, give me X amount of time. You know, however long it's going to take. This is how long it'll take me to make it real. And I say, make it real. And my wife is like, what are you talking about? Make it real. I was like, well, I drew this thing. That's crap. I have to make it good. That's what I call it. Make it real. So in my process, making it real is one of the things. And so I go away, I draw the thing, I make it real. And then I show it to them and they're like, holy crap. That's exactly what we said it was going to be except now it looks a million times better. And the added bonus is they feel like they were involved the whole time. They feel like it was their idea. And they'll say like, look what we did. And whenever they feel like that, they're not going to make changes. They're not going to look at something and be like, well, that's not really what I was thinking. And if they did, I'd be like, well, you kind of approved this sketch. (laughs) You kind of liked it two days ago when we were on the phone and doing it on a post-it note. So why don't you like it now? Uh, But I changed that. And I kind of evolved my process from that. And suddenly my process went from, I will magically think of an idea in the shower. I will magically do it. And then I'll magically present it to you. And you're going to have to like it to, I could teach this process to somebody else and they could do it. So essentially you are turning clients into collaborators. Absolutely. But in an organic way, like in a way that I'm kind of letting the whole ego side of it go completely. and working on whatever level they can work with me on 
however it is. And sometimes it is literally sitting there with them and drawing a sketch. And the folks that are like, I won't know until I see it. I was like, well, let's sketch a bunch of stuff then. Because you think about the frustration, like the longer you are away from a client, then they're like, oh, I wonder what they're doing. I wonder if they're even working on my stuff. And then the expectation is, oh, it's going to be so great. And then the longer you're away from them, it's like, oh, I'm scared to show them this because what if they don't like them? And it just causes this stress that I've always tried to solve. And basically what I do now is just we leave with an understanding of what we're doing. The server does not leave your table without knowing your order. And so the cook is not back there trying to imagine what you would like to eat today. So I try to do the same thing. I just act as the server and the cook. So as the server, I'm just sitting there and I'm like, all right, let's figure this out. You want to do a t-shirt? What do we want to put on it? And they say something's like, oh, we could do that. Or what if we did this? And if they're feeling it, then I go with that. If they're not, we just kind of go the other way. But it's so much easier to do it that way and just treat them like equals at the very start because they hired you. And for the most part, they care more about their project than you ever will. Because this oh, yeah. is, yeah, this is their like dream or small business. Even if it's just their next money-making scheme, they care about it more than you do. And so keep them involved, keep them right there. And then I always tell them too, I swear I've had so few people that abuse this. I just tell them, just text me anytime. If it's the middle of the night and you have an idea, just text it to me. I'm probably not going to just jump on a response, but I got it. And I tell them that. I was like, oh, that idea you sent me the other day, that was cool. And the clients get really excited when they can actually see you making the work. Yeah, they do. Happen for their eyes. So if they see you make the sketch... And they've already seen your stuff on Instagram. So they know you have the skills to back it up. Right. And they have that confidence in you. But when you're saying like, this is my shitty sketch, it's going to turn out amazing. And let's collaborate together. They feel like they're also the artist with you. So these people who are probably a little bit more analytical and you're there and you're kind of like the surprise and delight of collaboration that they didn't even know they were going to get. Right. And then when they did, they're going to want to work with you again and again and again and have that connection. That's the hope. And part of it, too, is because of that connection, I find that out in the world when they talk about, when because people talk, business owners definitely talk. And one business owner will be saying, oh, I use this agency. I'm in this contract with them for the next 25 years. You know, I pay them this much a month. And the other one goes, well, I just, I just call Jason. I need something. And somebody says, well, I need more. I need, I like that. I like that this person comes by and brings me donuts. And that this person, when I call, answers the phone. And the other one's like, yeah, but at the end of the day, don't you just want to get your work done? And they will put themselves out there to personally kind of defend the way that I work because they've been through the process. And that is where I'm starting to win clients away from the, from agencies is, is through like this advocacy where people are saying, I'm not saying that every independent designer is going to do the same job. I'm saying Jason did this job. And so uh, that's where it's kind of cool to have like those ads and stuff to back that up because then it does separate me from the person on Facebook looking for a landscape logo to design. It just splits me away from the rest of the herd. But it also makes you more of a person too. Yeah. That sounds so bad. You're already a person. We're already people, but it makes you more of a person to the client that you're not just an email going back and forth. Yeah. Which some people like, and some people don't care. Like I have plenty of clients. They don't care. They don't care where I live. They don't care what I look like. They just like that I do good work. But then I have others that when they have an idea, they call me and, and sometimes 
I'm honest with them. I was like, you don't need me to do that. I was like, just order it. <laughs> it's like, just, just, I, I don't need to send you an invoice for this idea you just had. It's a good idea. Just do it. Uh, you don't need me. I have plenty of clients. I tell them to get Canva or something because I don't want to change menus. I have friends that are like, oh yeah, I do all my busy work the first week of the month. And then I spend the rest of the three weeks doing this or that. And I was like, I don't want to have any busy work. I don't want to have a reoccurring chore that I have to do. I don't think I've ever heard of any like very successful person that was like, oh yeah, yeah, I invented the Tesla car. But as soon as I got done with my chores the first week, then I spent the other three weeks innovating. <laughs> like I'm not trying to do that. So I'll, I'll be honest with them. I'll just tell them, I was like, you could do this yourself. You know, let me tell you how to do it yourself. And I wasn't always like that. I kind of learned that as I went on. It made more sense to me and it continues to make more sense to me to teach my clients how to do things that I feel like they can do because they can't concept, they can't execute. They can do busy work for the most part. And if they can't, they can hire an intern. Exactly. And then there's a lot of people out there who could be good at the busy work that right. takes up the time that you don't want to waste. Yeah. I started doing another thing. So you say you have a ton of work and you're overwhelmed. It's like I'm working day and night. I'm working weekends. I have too much work. Uh, I want to hire a person to come in and help me do all this work. All right. So you think of a person. First of all, it's got to be somebody affordable. So you're like, I'll get an intern. I'll get a student. I'll get a junior designer, somebody. Get all your stuff. And it's like, well, what can I really have them do that I'm not going to have to like stand over their shoulder and pretty much do for them or explain to them or figure out how to tell them how to do this. And in the end, you realize that it's going to take more work to get a person to help you than it would be just to hunker down and get the shit done, right? So what I started doing is whenever I get a new client, I look for opportunities to hire people better than me at things. So I just did a peach farm, for instance, and they had this really cool old lettering. And I was like, well, who do I know that's really good? At? And I was like, well, Jason Karn is like the master of really cool old ephemera lettering. So I hit him up. I was like, how much would it cost for me to get you to do this? And he told me, and I added it to my quote. I don't do any motion graphics. So I got a really good motion graphics person to work on a client with me. And he's like, it costs this. So I add that to my quote. And so what I do is I try to find things, opportunities to work with people that are much better than me at things. And then whenever I present that to the client and I say, well, I'm going to have this guy do this or this girl do this. And she's the best at it in the world. Well, if they say, well, the price is kind of high on this thing. I was like, well, let me get rid of them first. I still make the same amount of money and just now I'll do the work. And so rather than try to hire somebody under me to do all this stuff, I try to get somebody better than me while they're doing that. I can do this other stuff. We'll meet at the very end and the whole thing will be done and it'll be much better than I could do by myself. I've done that with several people. And so whenever I see a project, I'm just like, who have I went to a conference and admired? Who have I saw in a magazine? Who have I always wanted to work with? And I just most of the time call them and I'm just like, hey, here's the project. How much would it cost? And if they say it costs a million dollars and I think it's worth it, I'll put a million dollars <laughs> on the proposal and I'll call them back. Hey, bad news. Their budget was five grand. So uh, <laughs> you didn't get this one, but I'll keep you in mind for future jobs. And so kind of working in a different way than I did before has changed stuff for the past couple of years and it's made it. So I'm so much more confident in the business side of it and the customer service side of it, those things that none of us ever talk about, things where it's just like, oh, I make shapes and put them on Instagram and there's no other part of my business that I have to deal with. We never talk about customer service. And without customer service, 
we're all going to be poor and broke or working in a cubicle for some old dungeon master that works us to death. You're not going to be able to make it if you don't have good customer service. I completely agree. And what's really good is that you're making a friend, you're making a relationship where you can say, hey, I'm so sorry, I can't work on this project today. Such and such happened. I'm going to be away from my desk for a few days. I can connect you with another designer or another creative who I trust who can finish this work for you. But I'll be back on probably this day or maybe if I'm not back by this date and I'll keep you posted. And if you've already made that friendship and that relationship and it's very strong, they're going to say, actually, there's a few projects I might want to get out with your friend, but I would love the chance to wait for you on these like five really great ideas that I had because I've invested my time in you. You know what I like. I'd rather wait. Yeah. For the most part, they do wait. And if they don't, they probably weren't a good fit. So I'm making all of the bad facial expressions at you right now. And the reasoning is, is that as a small business owner, what happens is that I've been on both sides of the coin. I've been the client, but I've also been the vendor and the creative. And so right now I'm being more of the client. And what I've learned is that if I don't have those expectations set for me, or if someone's like, hey, I'm going to call you on this date. Right. And even if they don't call me on the date, but they say, hey, heads up, I've taken a look at this or reply back to my emails, something in me, I get ticked off because I feel like I'm not being heard. And I don't care if the information sucks or if you can't do it. Just be upfront, just like reply back to the emails. And that is a huge customer service thing because I end up doing that on my end. I'm like, hey, I got your email. Thank you so much for reaching out. I can't read this right now. Let me look at this and I'll get back to you in a few days. Yeah. Yep. Because if I have to track you down multiple times, I'll try it maybe two more times. After that, we're not working together. Right. And that's the thing is like most of the time, anytime I've heard where somebody lost a client, it is never over some big dramatic thing. It's always a small communication problem. It's always they don't respond to my emails or when I call them, they put me off on somebody that just to keep me occupied for, you know, it's always like a small communication thing why people lose clients. And so I try really hard to be as super honest as possible. And this past weekend, I sent an email and I was like, look, there's no way I'm going to be able to get to this stuff in the next few weeks. It's going to be after that. I really want to work on this stuff. And I hope that a couple of weeks is not a deal breaker. One of the things I, I learned from somebody is as simple as it sounds in every correspondence, remind clients how happy you are to work with them and how you're really looking forward to this and that this is a great job and that rather than treat them like they're so lucky to be working with such a talent like you, remind them that you're lucky to work with them. And it takes some humility to do, but do it. Because they're paying your bills. They're making our lifestyles possible. They're the ones that called you. And don't act like a dick is pretty much, you know, this is the end <laughs> of the day. I'll make you a shirt. That's all it says on it. Don't be a dick. Yeah, don't be a dick. Even if you have one. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> it makes a big difference because I know plenty of people that are really good at what they do, but they're a dreadful person to work with. I've talked to people about them. like, oh, yeah, this person's great. If you can ever get them to do your work. Or this person's great, but it takes 10 times as long as they said it would. Right. So as a small business owner, because you're so much more than a freelancer, 
you've been in business for three years, you've made such a huge mark because a lot of small businesses or people who are freelancing, especially during the pandemic, did it just to have finances at the time. Right. And so a lot of the things that I'm hearing from you is about efficiencies, about how to make things better and make your life easier and also make the client's life easier. So my question is, how do you not feel like you've sold your soul by doing it? How do you feel like you haven't been like, I'm going to be an artist and protect all these integrities? That's a really good question. And it is something that I've always thought about. I never considered myself a designer early on. I was always a fine artist that was just working a design job to pay the bills. I was lucky enough that I could do spell check. I could left justify things and send it to the printer and nobody would bother me. But then as time went on, I realized that I needed to put my spin on things and put my voice into things and just kind of have a position, basically. And I think that a lot of times, like I have a few post-it notes. on. I, I, I love post-it notes. I, I, I'm killing the earth with post-it notes. But I have a lot of post-it notes and some of them are reminders of things that I need to remember to tell myself. And some of them are things like stop designing for your friends. Whenever a client asks me for something, I need to think, what will the client like? The other is certain people that no matter what, I don't work for them. And there's a few. And and I'm not ashamed to say that like I don't like working with bros and frat boys and things that derive from that. And I'm sure that some of them are great. But over and over and over, they remind me why I don't want to work for them. And there's plenty of exceptions. But for the most part, you know, if you call me and you're like, I have a golf lifestyle brand and it's called Our Balls or Bigger Than Yours or something, I just tell them I want to do something that I wouldn't want my daughters to be seeing me do. And that's that. Now, I'll work with other companies that I might not agree with the entire company stance because I feel like if I have a potential to help change them or educate them, that I'm not going to be able to do that by boycotting them. If I can get in there and find out who they are and and change that mindset and, and maybe help them, that's going to be a much better position than just sitting on the sidewalk and scowling and drawing pictures against them. I would rather go in there and try to help. And I've done that and been effective and I've done that and wasted my time. But at the end of the day, I can look everybody in the eye and be like, Hey, I tried, I tried to change their viewpoint. They're not changing. So maybe you'll have a better shot at it, but I didn't. And then there's other people that I've completely changed their mindset. And I think that if you go in saying a uh, hard fast, like I won't work for I don't, a tobacco company, I won't work for a pharmaceutical company. I won't work for a, any, you know, whatever it might be. Uh, you're just not going to be able to make a difference by doing nothing. And so I try to do that. Now, as far as like selling my soul and all that, like I have plenty of artist friends that probably thought I sold my soul a long time ago. But <laughs> like, I like having nice stuff. I like going on cruises. I like not being a struggling artist. Like there are plenty of struggling, starving artists that they don't need one more. And I think that I have kind of a chip on my shoulder from the way that I grew up where everybody worked in a factory and had like a good steady job. And I sort of rejected that lifestyle. And I can't reject that lifestyle and then go be a bum. I have to try to make the most of what I've got. I have to remember though, that at the end of the day, whenever my bills are paid and I'm dealing with a completely different set of 
things than my art friends might be, that I'm fine with that. I sleep fantastic knowing that I have a car that I don't have to worry about how I'm going to pay for it. Oh, definitely. And I, and I don't think that anybody could point at anything I've done and be like, oh, I can't believe that you did this campaign for whatever, Westboro Baptist Church and they're protesting funerals. Like, I'm not going to do that. Like, there is a limit. I'm not going to work for somebody that just completely goes against everything that I believe is decent. But at the same time, like, if I'm working for Coca-Cola and then somebody's like, oh, I can't believe you work for Coca-Cola, they do this or whatever. I'd be like, it's Coca-Cola. I'm going to work for Coca-Cola. <laughs> <laughs> I think when I was a baby designer, I had this ethos that I wasn't going to work for A, B, and C. and Unfortunately, I became an adult at some point, an adult designer instead of a baby designer. And I love it that people follow their bliss and follow their dreams and go after what they want. I'm all for that. But I'm also all about having a roof over my head, having food on the table. But following your bliss doesn't always pay the bills. Right. I might feel like I failed my younger self. I still did a few dreams that I never even thought I could do. They were fantasies. So I wanted to open up my own shop. I wanted to be an artist and I'm doing that. Sure, it doesn't look like what I thought it would be when I was in my 20s, but it's definitely what I want it to be now. I've grown up. I've changed. I've evolved. I do like having nice things. I'm willing to spend more money if a pair of jeans is going to last for five years versus three days from Walmart. I'm willing to spend a little bit more for longevity. Right. And it's funny that you bring that up, like following your bliss. So my path was I had kids at a young age. Like I was stubborn and worked shitty design jobs, making like eight fifty an hour when I could have went and probably got a better paying job doing something that I would hate. But I managed to do that and feed my family and live. And it was just a slow, steady climb. And it wasn't until about 2019, 2020, when I could really start thinking about myself and make decisions that didn't have all these other people ahead of me. And so before I couldn't take quite the risks that I can take now, because what if I didn't get a paycheck? Like, what are my kids going to eat? How are they going to pay for soccer? How are they going to pay for this? And so I traded that was more selling out than anything is trading a job that I didn't care for because it had a steady paycheck that I could depend on versus what I'm doing now, which like you said, following your bliss, like that's what I'm doing now. So only in my whole life, only for the past couple of years, have I ever experienced that. And part of my bliss is things like having nice shelves and having books and winning awards and commissioning paintings and living. But that's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. No, it's not. And I can tell you why. Okay. So when I say follow your bliss, I'm thinking about you're in college, you're going out for your first job and you have the option of having like a nice, comfortable paying job that you can survive on. It's going to be great, but it's not everything that you want. You want to be working for say Coca-Cola again or some big brand, but instead you have to work for like a mom and pop shop that your ego doesn't get stroked every day. And maybe you're the only designer. Right. So what I mean by following your bliss is you've already done the work and you put in the effort to be able to do that. You already yeah. have the history. So right. it's not following your bliss. You're just making the next career move. Correct. But my mindset's a lot different because... But you've earned it. I, yes. It's got to this point. But see, whenever I was starting, it wasn't... The choice wasn't go work for Coca-Cola in a job you might not like versus a job that you would like better or whatever. It was more like 
do I want a hot needle in my left eye or a hot needle in my right eye? That's my options because both are going to suck. Do I want to make signs or do I want to make t-shirts? Do I want to make church newsletters or do I want to make business cards? Like there was not go work for Coca-Cola. I would have taken that in two it's seconds. A fantasy, it was a fantasy. I would have taken yes. it in like two seconds. Whereas now you're right. I get things on LinkedIn and it's like, so-and-so is hiring a senior graphic designer. And five years ago, I would have killed to have that job. And now I look at it and just like click through because it's like, well, that was then. I like what I'm doing now. And it could change. I'm not, this was never my goal to work for myself. It was never my goal to be independent. I just want to work with good people for good people. And if that changes, if those good people are different in a couple of years or two weeks from now, I will go that route. I'll be a bossy bitch, but I will go that route. Like I will be an HR nightmare because I doubt that I'll put up with too much of any crap uh, after having all the freedom to choose what music I listen to and what hours I work and where I sit. But uh, this isn't my end all be all. Like the context of how I work does not define the work I'm doing. So if an agency called me and said, hey, we want to put you on retainer for the next couple of years and we're going to pay you this much and you're going to get these benefits. I'll do it in a heartbeat, but I'm not seeking that. I really don't feel like any agency could give me better work than what I've been getting lately. So I'm really happy with what I'm doing. And it is, it is like following my bliss. I know that I've earned it and my foundation's a little stronger. I feel like my priority list is a little bit different. Like I can take a risk on turning down a job that don't feel fits into what it is that I want to do. And then it frees me up whenever that phone call does come for a job that's right exactly what I want to do. And so that's the hard part is turning down stuff that I could make money on and probably wouldn't be too difficult. But I'm at a point where it's just like, you know, that's not what I'm trying to do right now. I've done that. And I think that's really respectable. Also learning that your time is valuable and you can either do A or B and maybe A is just spending time with your family and maybe B is yes, working, but A is super valuable to you. And on some of those days, you're like, yes, I could be making $150 right now for like another hour of work, or I could be having dinner with my family, or we could say, screw it, let's go to the movies. Right. And enjoy the quality time that you might not necessarily be having if you were required to work that nine to five. Right. But see, I know so many people that they do well. And I've asked them because I'm like, you're working nights, you're working weekends. To me, in my mind, that automatically means that you're failing at something. You're not managing your time right. You're overextending yourself. You're not charging enough. That was what I heard for the longest time. If you have that much work, you're not charging enough for it. That's not necessarily true. And I asked them, you know, I was like, what are you doing? Like, how come I can get my job done in the same amount of hours as a banker can but you're working nights. And they'll say stuff like, well, I take half the day in the middle to go pick up my kids and go to their school. Or I spend four hours out of my day at my kid's soccer practice, or I go on a bike ride or I go hiking. And so part of it is like, I have to reframe and think, okay, for my success, Monday through Friday, 8.30 to 5.30, hour lunch, that's me. That's how I work. That's how I was trained to work in the super traditional model. But for somebody else, like, I don't want, they, they might not want to work mornings. They might go hiking. They might go do yoga in the morning and go have coffee. And then they start their work day at one o'clock. And so whenever I see them working at eight o'clock, 
You know, oh, look at this failure. How are they fucking up so bad? They got to work at eight. I'm watching Game of Thrones. But they're not. They're just choosing how they work. And so I'm learning to respect that everybody kind of does things different. I'm kind of old. And so I'm rooted in these traditional <laughs> like thoughts, like these traditional things that don't necessarily apply. But you're right. Like, I don't want to miss dinner with my family. I don't want to miss going to the movies. Sometimes it happens, but it's not the rule. It's the exception. So it's been three years. You've gotten over that first year freshness where you've opened up your bank accounts. You've filed the LLC paperwork. You've done your taxes. You've had all this experience. How do you stay inspired and how do you keep saying, let's keep going after three years? Like, how do you maintain that focus? Because people get bored. It's true. So lately, it's, it's by winning bigger clients. It's by sort of like climbing these mountains that some of them I didn't even know existed. Atlanta United is a great example. Like, it's the perfect example. Atlanta United soccer team, they called me to do a calendar, like one illustration for their season calendar. And they knew what they wanted. They wanted me to draw uh, this dog king. They train like service animals there with the people and all that. and. I'm at a point where a lot of designers are like, what do you want? How do you want this to look, et cetera? And you try to please the client. And I don't want to displease the client. But at the same time, I want everybody to look at this and say, Jason did this. And I was like, I want to draw this dog in a fur coat with a crown and a ring and make it just like as Atlanta as possible from my perspective. (laughs) And I did my process. I did the sketch. I showed it to them and they loved it. And they were like, it was a risk because I thought for a minute, they were just going to be like, "Mm, a little too much for us. Uh, Dial it way back, which I would have been fine doing. But I I shot my shot and they liked it. They loved it. And they gave me out of the 12 posters, they had me do six of them. And so I treated the other six just the same way. I was like, well, if they like this one enough that they gave me five more, I'm going to do me on all of them. And it's a balance of, I don't have a niche that I do. I don't have that thing, but I do want my style to be recognized. And so the more that I can get my style recognized in bigger spaces, that kind of motivates me. And it is a little bit of, of sort of ego, but it's also uh, creating value in my work. It makes it so that my work's more desirable and more sought out because if just anybody could do what I did, then they should probably hire just anybody. They should hire somebody cheaper for sure. Definitely somebody faster. I'm pretty fast, but I'm not always available. So if you just want anybody hire that, but I want people to be like, no, I saw this thing you did. It's worth waiting for. And I want you to do that for us. Uh, That's where I really get motivated when people see my work and and they're like, I like it so much that I want to pay you to do it more. It's just kind of like leveling up. I guess that's the answer is leveling up is what motivates me. I think leveling up and good customer service so far is what I've heard. Yeah. Well, good customer service is the way to level up. And then just at the end of the day, you have to kind of be good at what you do. It helps. Earlier, you're talking about a lot about communication. What are some of the tips that you can give or some things that you've done to create communication a little bit easier for you and the clients? Well, for the most part, I mentioned it earlier, like you have to meet them where they are. And sometimes that can be in a very professional boardroom type setting. And you need to remember that. It's always fun to like crack some joke or say something, but you always need to make sure that you're as professional as they are. And on the flip side, like if somebody's super casual, it's okay to be casual, but you need to make sure that you bring them up to the professionalism that you expect from your business. And so 
always be personable, but make sure you're taken seriously. Because a lot of times, like when everything's casual, it's like, oh, yeah, that'd be cool. Oh, yeah, we'll take care of that. Oh, how much is it cost? Oh, don't even worry about it. Then it's really hard at the end to be like, oh, well, now I'm going to buckle down and here's your invoice. Oh, yeah, cool. Whatever, man. We'll pay it eventually. You know, you need to maintain this professionalism. And one, one way that I do that is I have two email accounts. And one of them is jason at jasonthe29th.com. And it's, hey, how are you? Let's talk about this cool job we're going to do. And the other one is accounts at jason29th.com. And the email you get from me, uh, Jason, is all the work stuff. And then all the emails that you get from accounts is, here's how much it costs. I need you to pay this deposit. As soon as you pay this deposit, Jason will start working. And it just separates fun, cool guy that's going to draw these pictures with the black and white, pay me now or you're not going to get any work. It's hard to be both at the same time sometimes. And you get too casual with clients and then you don't want to charge them a bunch or you get too casual and then you make all these changes and you find yourself like really getting wore out by people that you've got really close with. And having that separation where it's just they're trained and you're trained that I'm going to talk about the creative. This other person is going to talk about the business side of it. and it makes it so that I can kind of wear both hats and clearly have them separate. And it kind of keeps my mind on task because then I'm not worried about how much they're paying me. I'm worried about doing good work because I want all the work to be good all the time. And uh, that's just one way to do it. The other is like, I have clients that love email and I, I bet you people hate getting emails from me because every email that I write, it's like, dear sir or madam, please to me, it's the most like, you would think I was writing like a letter in the 1800s because I am so professional on email because I always, I will not put anything out without this thought of like, if I'm standing in the principal's office and they read this to me and they're like, what were you thinking when you wrote this? I always want it to be like, I was thinking that I was very professional and that I was very respectful and and you're not going to catch me slipping in writing. I might say some shit that, get me canceled at any moment, but I'm not going <laughs> to write anything that you can hold up in court and point at and be like, did you write this? Uh, so I'm very professional on email, but I have clients that they're just like, I don't check my email all day. Just text me. And it's like, all right, let me put your name in my phone and I will sure text you, but I'm also going to have a follow-up email because I need to be able to search this stuff later. But it just goes back to meeting them where they are. If they're a busy person that texts a lot, text them. If they're a Friday at five emailer, which I've got a few of those. The ones that just, it's like 4.48 on a Friday and I can just watch that email and just ding, ding, ding. And they hit you with a bunch of stuff. And then they're typically the ones that Monday at 8.31, hey, did you have a chance to get on that? I was like, in the last five business minutes? No. <laughs> um, I wish I could say that I haven't personally done that. Oh, the five o'clock? To a vendor. I usually try to wait until Tuesday. I send an email out on Monday and we're recording this on a Tuesday right now. And I'm, itching to write a follow-up email just because it's a large sum of I'm going to give you this amount of money to teach me to do something. And that's probably the largest amount I've given to someone and it makes me a little nervous. So yeah. <laughs> I'm like, email me back, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But then at the same time, someone said they could meet my deadline on something 
that I talked to them about yesterday and I haven't sent them the graphics for it yet. So I'm like, I'm also a bad person too. So yay. It's, They're it's, probably like, I hate you. Yeah. It just goes into that. <laughs> like, well, part of it too, communication for me, receiving communication is very easy because I'm, I don't know what the different personality types are, but I'm the direct one. Like, I don't want to hear a big long story. I just want you to tell me the thing. Just tell me the thing. I don't like look into like the meaning of like, what they, you know, why are they just being so short with me whenever you're asking for instructions? Like when was the last time you looked up a recipe on the internet? It's a fucking nightmare because what happens is, is you get the recipe and it's just all you want to know is like, if I put extra cheese in this macaroni, like how much should I use? And you get the recipe and it goes, well, let me tell you, my name's Kathy and my children just love when I make this scrumptious. It's like, give me the recipe, please. Just give me the number. Just give me the number. Just give me the number. <laughs> it's like, well, watch this video first of where I show my homestead and I tell you about the history of macaroni. It's like, just tell me the goddamn number, please. That's how I am. So it makes it a lot easier, but I also have to be mindful that not everybody is very direct like that. Where I have this little card that somebody gave me where it explains how to talk to people that aren't like you. And so I try to use it. Sometimes it helps, but I, I need to be mindful of some people. But where I'm talking with clients in the very, like the get to know you meeting, I ask him, I'm like, are you the type of person that just wants the facts? Are you the type of person that wants to talk for a long time? Like, how do you want it? And some of them are just like, I like some pageantry. I like some uh, chit chat. I like to know how the weather's at in Augusta. I was like, that's fine. I got that. And I'll write that on a little post-it note. And I'm just like, be extra friendly. Tell a story. Tell them how your kids are doing. And some of them ask me, you know, they'll spend more time asking me what else is going on. And I was like, how do they even know that I have this going on? And then I was like, okay, and by the way, your stuff will be done on Friday. So yeah, that would be my advice. Just, just kind of try to make yourself adaptable and meet them where they are. Being inflexible is the worst thing you can be. It, maybe not. If you want to make money, being inflexible is the worst thing you can be. If you want people to not like you, <laughs> then be inflexible <laughs> all day. You'll eventually be find your people. Yeah, be a dick. You'll eventually find your people, but then they'll probably be dicks too. And I don't know why. They would want, you would want to work with them. So, <laughs> so as we wrap up, I'm just going to say, thanks for hanging out with me. What are your future plans? I'm going to start figuring out what it's going to take for me to buy a house in the Caribbean. And I'm going to start saying that out loud so that I can make it real. That's what I want to do. And I want to work there for four months out of the year. And then I want to take vacation there, like back to back. So I'll work for four months and then I'll take a vacation and then I'll come home and live my life. But then, you know, seven months later, I'll be back going back. And I know there's hurricanes and all that. And that's probably the only place I could afford a house is somewhere right in the path of a hurricane. But that's my plan. I mean, they do have hurricane insurance. I probably won't be able to afford that. But I want a house there. So that's my plan. And I think that if I start saying that out loud, and then people are like, that dude is crazy. He's going to start talking about getting a house in the Caribbean. And it's like, well, just you watch. I love that for you. That's inspiring me to dream larger, to be like, I want to live in Italy for several months. There there. you go. Or like fantasize a little bit larger. So I love that. I love that you're dreaming a bit bigger. Yeah, big goals. Well, Jason, where can we find you on the web? So I'm still updating my Instagram as it withers and dies. So I'm Jason the 29th on Instagram and I'll continue to post things. I just... Probably won't post as much because it's not fun anymore. But I've also got my website, crunkfriday.com. Also, jason29th.com goes the same place. And 
always you can hit me up on LinkedIn or Facebook, wherever you can find me. And I like talking to people. So I'll typically respond or answer questions or whatever I can do to try to be social and not be a dick. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, that's it. Oh, Jason, we forgot one last thing. What do we forget? So a few weeks back, or it could actually be a few days, time does not exist correctly for me anymore. Someone painted over a mural that you had done. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, so uh, okay, it sounds weird, but it's 100% true. So I had a studio in downtown Augusta called Pink Slips, and I had that from 2015 until 2020. We closed it because of COVID. I got a grant to paint murals on the building, and on the front, I painted these huge pink stripes. Well, after we closed it, another group moved in, and it just wasn't their vibe, and so they painted over it. They painted it uh, just pretty regular and it went away fast forward just a couple years to 2022 and artist named Addison Naday I'll shout him out now Addison Naday moved to Augusta from Daytona Beach and he started repainting old like uh, ghost signs and old murals like Coca-Cola advertising and RC Cola advertising and things like that. He, he started painting them. He's in, in, a, in a rapid pace, like five or six a month. Like he's, he's everywhere painting on these things. And it's, he's probably like the, the most like hardest working artist right now in Augusta. One way or another, he found out about the pink stripes and asked me if I cared if he recreated my mural, uh, on the front of the same building and it changed it. Like the, there's nobody there anymore. And he just wanted to know if he could repaint it. And I was like, yeah, I don't care if you repaint it. Three days later, that thing was completely repainted. The whole building was painted with pink stripes again, and it just reappeared. And I still had never met him at that point. And so, uh, Addison went out there and, and kind of fixed a thing that needed to be fixed. And he did a really good job with it. But whenever I posted it, everybody's like, what do you mean this person you never met repainted your mural? Because there's so much to unpack there. Like one, like somebody painting my art. Two, I'd never met him. Why would a person do that? But I think that it's just, it's one of those things, like how there's those like unexplained evolutionary leaps that just happen. I think it's kind of one of those. So like, I think a lot of us here in Augusta have got stuck in some kind of rut that maybe we haven't got out of and maybe this guy is here to kick us all in the ass and to jump us into like another mode. So maybe we'll all level up or get left behind. That's what I kind of (laughs) think. Well, I love this dude. He sounds really awesome. (laughs) No, I do. And I love the fact that he's taking something old that was disappearing. Yeah. And he starts bringing it back into the world a little bit. Things that were missing. So, for example, during the pandemic, and during, and I know we're still going through it, is misconnections. Yeah. So he's bringing back the art of things that maybe he grew up with that he inspired him to actually be an artist. So those huge murals made him want to paint. And so maybe he's just bringing back something that he's lost and righting a wrong. And I think that's beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's definitely brought a lot of folks closer together because you can't not be talking about because it's, it's, he's doing so many so fast. And it's, it's, like I said, it's, it's like a kick in the ass for all of us. Well, Jason, thank you for sharing. (laughs) And I'm going to stop the recording. Absolutely. We could do this forever. 
Thanks again for listening. If you liked this episode, it would be awesome if you took the time to subscribe. And if you want to leave me your thoughts to continue the conversation, email me at info at happyimpulse.com. You can also find me on Instagram at happyimpulse. And as always, thank you for giving a fuck. <laughs>